Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Of biblical proportions, adjective, definition. Of or pertaining to a natural disaster or other cataclysmic event so immense that it brings to mind biblical accounts of horrific catastrophes. The thing is, when we find ourselves in the vice grip of a worldwide pandemic, a pandemic that stymies educators, exhausts parents, devastates those in congested living conditions, shutters whole downtowns, craters economies, overwhelms hospitals, isolates the dying, thwarts travel, and preys on the poor and vulnerable. When we find ourselves in the vice grip of such a pandemic, we can look back to our biblical forebears and see how they navigated the vast catastrophes of their day. Catastrophes which give rise to the phrase of biblical proportions. The book of Jeremiah gives us a good look at how our forebears navigated the catastrophe of exile. Their holy land had been invaded and they defeated. They were deported by Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar, from their homeland, their holy land in Judah, to the hated Babylon. They are severed from the temple, the abode of God, their gathering place, the locus of their lives. They find themselves in alien territory, uprooted, captives in a foreign land. And they, they are homesick, so homesick, and who can blame them? They suffer from a kind of paralysis. They are unfocused, ill at ease, restless, disheartened. And at the same time, they entertain wildly optimistic, even irrational hopes that their nightmare will simply vanish, that they will wake up one day from the nightmare and all will again be right with their world. In the midst of their despair, a letter arrives from the prophet Jeremiah. The exiles tear their letter open, eager for good news. They are expecting to read that their ordeal is coming to an end, that rescue is in sight, that their deliverance is just around the corner. They are longing to hear that they can return to normal, resume life as it was before. However, Jeremiah's letter is anything but good news. He predicts, rightly as it turns out, that their captivity will be a long one, that it is not coming to a miraculous or speedy end. Jeremiah conveys the hard news that deliverance is not imminent. Instead, the prophet admonishes them to find a way not merely to survive but to acclimate and even thrive in their new normal rather than waiting for it to be over. He counsels them to take the present seriously and to live into it as deeply as they can manage. And then in very, very concrete terms, Jeremiah counsels them to do what they would do were they back home, build homes, put down roots, plant gardens, 
Start new businesses, work hard, play hard, marry, and bear children. And they do. They invent new rituals. They recalibrate the rhythms of their days and their weeks. And remarkably, they find God to be surprisingly and delightfully active in their lives, even in captivity. God, as it turns out, followed them into captivity. And so it is that in the presence and in the company of God, the exiles take up new hobbies and learn new vocations. They find joy and love. They care for one another. They give birth to children and manage to bury their dead. In the evenings, they sing new songs, invent original stories, and even share jokes. Which reminds me, have you heard about the first baseball game in the Bible? In the big inning, Eve stole first, Adam stole second, Cain struck out Abel, the giants and the angels were rained out. When is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. What kind of man was Boaz before he married Ruth? He was ruthless. Who was the smartest man in the Bible? Abraham, he knew a lot. Why didn't they play cards on the ark? Because Noah was standing on the deck. What animal could Noah not trust? Why, the cheetah, of course. Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson, he brought the house down. A priest, an imam, and a rabbit walk into a bar. The bartender says, I think there's a typo here. A priest, an imam, and a rabbit walk into a blood bank. The rabbit says, I think I might be a typo. The exiles did settle in. By night, they sang new songs, invented new stories, and even shared jokes. I imagine they had a slew of exile jokes. Why did Napoleon return from exile? He needed more elbow room. In ancient Greece, Hippasus was exiled for discovering that some numbers could not be described with simple whole numbers or fractions. How irrational. The exiles did build houses. They planted gardens, they married and bore children, and on the Sabbath, even without their precious temple, they paused, gave God thanks, worshiped and sang God's praises. They strove to keep the commandments, to live in community with God, with each other, and even with the city of their captivity. They found new ways to accommodate to their new normal and indeed to thrive, even in the midst of catastrophe. Well, I have seen you do the same. How awesomely you are accommodating to this catastrophe, to this pandemic of biblical proportions. Parents learning to become teachers. Many of you learning new instruments and new languages. You are creative in your leisure and inventive in your work. You are sewing face masks, making meals for the homeless, mentoring, volunteering, and being philanthropic. You are reading and learning about race and anti-racism determined to increase equity. 
you're writing to your elected officials and you are practicing democracy. You are caregiving for elders and neighbors. You are getting married and you are giving birth. And some of you, God help you, God bless you, are burying your beloved dead. The prophet Jeremiah, God's own spokesperson, aches for you to know this. God is with you. God is in exile with you. God will see us through. We are not abandoned. God is here, even here. God is in our midst. <laughs>